0: Welcome to No More Risk Better a Credit Sites Podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. My name is Winnie Caesar. I'm the Global Head of Strategy for Credit Sites. And today, I have the privilege of chatting with Wen Lee, who is our senior analyst covering metals and mining. He recently came out with some really interesting updates on the sector, which has gotten hit pretty hard on the back of all of the US and euro banking fallout of the past few weeks. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Wen.
1: Thanks, Winnie. Happy to be here.
0: All right, let's get into it. I have really enjoyed hearing the different analyst responses to our opener question, which is, if you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic, credit market, or sector-specific data for 2023, what would you be looking for and why?
1: You know, I think for me, I like to see what GDP for the US would look like at year end. We always talk about how the metals my sector is a China centric sector. China accounts for 40, 50, 60% of total demand for all commodities out there. But we know with a very high level of confidence that China is going to be okay this year. China's reopening story is intact. The government has been pumping a lot of liquidity and stimulus back into the economy. Steel consumption in China and steel production have been increasing on the back of the construction season on the way. So China's going to be okay. I think the big concern here is really on US GDP and also European GDP, whether we actually head into recession in the second half of this year. And obviously, it's a very economically sensitive sector to the extent that China, to the extent that the US blows up or goes into a severe recession. That's going to have a big impact on commodity prices and demand. So if I had a choice, I'll look at sort of what happens with the GDP the GDP economic growth and whatnot for you for the U.S.
0: That is helpful. I think that on my conversation with Todd Duvick, who covers industrial goods, he also was looking for GDP. So lots of these very macro focused sectors really trying to assess what is going on with GDP. And really, economic consensus is kind of doing the same when you look at the range of forecasts for the year for the U.S. and and Europe. It's a quite wide range high probability of recession, and yet still a lot of forecasters are in pretty solidly positive territory for US GDP this year. So there are a lot of mixed messages on that front. I can imagine it's made it really challenging to figure out how to think about your sector with metals and mining being so cyclically exposed. So with that in mind, how are you telling investors to position in metals and mining for the year? What is your official sector recommendation? And can you walk us through how you came to that, Rack?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have an outperform on IG metals and mining. IG metals is trading roughly 25 basis point wide to the broader index. And then we have a market perform on high U metals and mining, which is trading 130 basis point tight to the broader high U index. Now again, fundamentals are very strong at this point in time. China's reopening and improving on the back of that. And the EV story, you know, that's going to be a big drive for base metals over the next three or four years. Now, on top of that, supply fundamentals are very tight, especially on the base metal side. There's been a lot of high cost capacity that came offline during the COVID downturn and remains offline. That's really drawing sort of supply tightness in the broader market. And on top of that, commodity prices have been trading at very healthy levels. Now obviously, rolled off on the back of the banking crisis over the last couple of weeks, but still trading at historical highs and versus cash cost levels. If you think about like iron ore, it's trading at roughly $125 per ton. Cash costs for a lot of these guys are roughly $20, $30 per ton. So the price versus cash cost spread is really wide. And they're still making very, very strong margins at this point in time. Then you look at steel prices, right? Steel prices in the US and Europe have rallied over the last two months or so, on the back of inventory stocking, supply outages, and that seems to be okay in the developed regions at this point in time. And as we also look at balance sheets, right? It's very, very strong. They're well positioned for the potential downturn. Leverage metrics are very low at historical lows. If you think about the last few years, you know, they've been operating, the sector has been operating at peace cycle economics. Following the COVID downturn, supply came offline. And then the government's pump a lot of stimulus back in the economy, drying demand, commodity prices rallied hard on the back of that. And then last year, following the Russian-Ukraine war, that was another supply shock that drove commodity prices up. So over the last couple of years, the metals mine sector has been essentially operating a peace cycle economics and balance sheets are very, very strong and well positioned for a potential downturn.
0: That's super helpful. It's very much in line with how we're thinking about the IG market more broadly, where there's going to be some moderation. We're not going to be operating at kind of peak pricing across the board like we were for so much of the past couple of years. That doesn't necessarily mean material credit fundamental erosion, especially just given the relative starting points in terms of balance sheet strength. So on that note, how about new issue activity? Are we expecting to see a big surge in activity or Are we expecting to see issuers kind of hanging out on the sidelines given where borrowing costs have trended?
1: You know, I hope to see more. Obviously, issues have been very, very low last year and into this year so far. IG issuance was down 30% year over year in 2022. High issuance in the sector was down 70%. The issue is that sector, again, has been operating at PSAC Economics over the last couple of years. So they've been doing just a lot of free cash flow. To help fund through growth capex, shareholder rewards, and uh, m and hasn't been very prominent in the sector either. And so, but there is very strong appetite for high quality levels of mining paper. BHP and Rio Tinto came out early this year, successfully tapped the capital markets. The deals were upsized, launched at twenty twenty five basis point tight to IPT, and traded well after the break. So we we're hoping that this would drive more momentum in a new issuance market, but obviously the banking crisis stopped that momentum. Well, there are big names out there that have refinancing needs in 2023, names like Anglo-American, Glencore, Austin Leto, and BHP. And BHP also has a big acquisition that will be completed over the course of the next three or four months, the Oz Minnow transaction, which is roughly a $7 billion transaction. So they may have to come back to market to help fund that deal.
0: That's super helpful. How are you thinking about kind of the event risk M and A landscape? I know that you gave some thought to that in your recent note on the sector.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, event risk has definitely increased over the last three, four months. There's been more M and A. Like I said before, BHP is acquiring Oz Minerals, which is a copper company. Rio Tinto just acquired TRQ stake in Oyotole, another copper asset. And then we've also seen, seen a, a handful of spinoffs, tech resources, split into two companies, Copper and Medco. They have a fairly interesting structure in place where Met Coal, where the free cash flow from the Medco business will be funneled to the base metal business and to help fund the growth CapEx at the copper business. And then LA is also doing something similar. They're selling a minority stake in their base metal business. And then from there, they're going to spin it off or do an IPO. And then that's another sort of copper-related event risk for these companies. Again, he is a very big driver in terms of demand over the next three, four years, especially in the base metal business for, such as copper, cobalt, lithium, and nickel as well. And so the growth trend in EVs, a lot of the big guys are looking to sort of increase exposure to these types of materials. And MA is a big, they're doing spinoffs. I think we'll see more of that going forward. And then we're also seeing some rumors, uh, LBO rumors in the space as well. Apollo has been rumored to uh, well, want to LBO, Arconic, and we'll see if that happens or not. But events versus increasing and that's making the sector a little bit more interesting going forward. <sighs>
0: I don't know if we like to hear that a sector will be (laughs) interesting going forward. It's always good to be busy, much better than being bored, but also adds a lot of workload to your plate and all of the Credit Sites clients who are tasked with following these things.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel like the sector has been operating piece of Economics. No big issuance in the market for some time. Not a lot of MA as well, but I think the sector is heating up a bit. And that makes the sector interesting. I've been covering the basics for some time now, and obviously 08, 09 was very interesting. 15, 16 come downturn, where a lot of these IG companies fell down from hot IG to high U, the stress within three to six months. That was a very interesting time. Obviously, a lot of workload, but at the same time, we just really exciting. Right now, I'm waiting for that to happen, either more event risk or maybe for the cycle to turn, for Stink to start blowing up. So knock on wood, maybe we'll get more, maybe the sector (laughs) will get more exciting.
0: Oh my gosh. I love this attitude that you're looking for (laughs) excitement. If you are, I'm sure that our financials team is willing to loop you in and have you help on some of the issues that they've been playing Whack-A-Mole on lately, for sure. I guess that's a great segue into our next topic of conversation, which is what keeps you up at night. This has been a pretty constructive conversation, which I think might surprise a lot of people as the kind of doom and gloom message has really taken hold. The market's now pricing in rate cuts from the Fed in the back half of this year, in anticipation of a policy error and perhaps a recession, or maybe it's just the market trying to bully the Fed into cutting rates because they're sick of high rates, one or the other. What keeps you up in your super cyclical sector with your constructive view?
1: I think the most obvious one is really recession, right? Again, there's a lot of concerns about recession in the second half of this year in the US and Europe. Again, the metal sector is very economically sensitive, deeply cyclical sector. I think re- the recession is obviously the most obvious one out there that, you know, I don't, not necessarily keeps me up at night, but definitely that's something that's going to impact broadly the sector, commodity prices, demand and whatnot. So that's really big. And obviously, event risk has also increased quite a bit as well as companies love to tackle and increase the exposure to EV battery materials. I think that's another big one. And so I think that's going to be a big driver over the next three, six months, six to nine months stuff that keeps me up at night. Well, not necessarily keep me up at night, but that's stuff that keeps the sector a little bit more interesting going forward.
0: Yeah. I have a kind of a follow-up on the recession question, because this is something that comes up a lot for us on the strategy team with clients asking us kind of the outlook for recession. And I feel at this point, the recession narrative, it doesn't matter so much if there is a recession. It depends on what the type of recession is we're coming off a few years of very strong growth globally when we had reopening and it could be that growth slows down quite significantly it could be that there's some you know kind of weird technical adjustments to gdp that that bring it into very low or even negative territory be it inventory and trade balances and just kind of global effects and supply chain and all of these things that are still normalizing after an extended period of disruption. When you think about the type of recession that would truly be detrimental to metals and mining, what are some of the characteristics that you would think about and consider?
1: I think the big one's really sort of consumer spending. Honestly, the big end markets here is really, automotive is very big, infrastructure, manufacturing. And so to the extent that manufacturing activity comes off, that's gonna have an impact on commodities consumption. One thing that I wanna highlight here is that there's been a lot of bills that have been passed over the last three or four years that's gonna really drive metals consumption. The infrastructure bill, the CHIPS Act, IRA, and that hasn't really bleed into the sector yet in terms of volumes and whatnot. But there's been a lot of talks, or well, more talks now, In the fourth quarter earnings season. I would imagine as we get across the next year earnings season, we'll see more of that where there's going to be revenue flow or demand flow from these bills that have been passed over the last year and a half, two years. So that helps support for metals, at least in the US. I think that's going to be helpful for the sector, even if we fall into some sort of recession in the back half of this year. And I guess another thing I want to highlight here is that balance sheets are really strong at this point in time at the last few years of peace cycle economics. Even if we fall into a recession, I would imagine that we won't see some of the pain points that we saw in the 2015-2016 downturn.
0: That brings up two really interesting things because a lot of clients are oftentimes looking for kind of what's the next move on the political front? to drive valuations and credit fundamentals. And I think it's really important that you just reminded everyone that sometimes those things take a while to actually play through into kind of the realities of day-to-day operations and what credit metrics look like. And so that is kind of a nice mitigant to perhaps some slowing demand as is intended by the Fed right now in their tightening cycle to help offset the really detrimental impact to the commodities Cycle in general. And then also on kind of metals and mining, energy, these were sectors that were very much at top of mind for investors in 2015, 2016, even in March 2020, again, when things got really rocky. And oftentimes the sectors that were the ones at the center of issues in the previous cycle get a little bit more defensive in the next cycle because management teams have learned a lot. They kind of shore up their balance sheets. They want to remain focused on maintaining ratings. They don't necessarily have as much flexibility to absorb further downgrades. Would you say that you're not seeing a lot of kind of downgrade risk that is popping up as particularly evident to you right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. If you think back to the 2015-2016 downturn. That was essentially one of the first few downturns for the sector as a whole. You know, prior to that, you were looking at maybe a 15, 20 year period where China was booming, commodity prices were increasing, and these guys were essentially minting money and they didn't know how, what to do with the cash on hand. So what they did was they top ticked the market, lever up the balance sheet to buy stuff, right? To make big acquisitions for growth capex. And when the cycle turned, they're like, what are we going to do? And so and the agencies also freaked out. They're like, hey, China's gonna be blowing up. We're gonna to have to downgrade every name out there. So all the big names out there, like Anglo American Tech Resources, Valet, Freeport, fell from IG to high the distressed within three to six months. But since then the management teams have been more focused on balance sheet repair and also cost structure and whatnot. Over the last few years, there's been some pivot into more aggressive capital allocation initiatives, right? Dividend buybacks have increased. Growth capbacks have also increased as well. We haven't seen any major m deals getting done over the last few years. They've mostly been on on acquisitions. BHP just made a big one, $7 billion, but they're a massive name with a very strong balance sheet and doesn't really move the needle much in terms of the credit profile as well. I think the management team has a playbook in place. Their balance sheets are a lot stronger now than before. And if the cycle turns, they're going to use that same playbook in terms of cost cutting, pairing in the balance sheet. But their balance sheet now are much, much, much stronger than before. And they're well positioned for this next cycle or next downturn.
0: That's really helpful. We've discussed it internally with some of the other analysts, but sometimes it seems like what if this is the recession where nobody actually shows up? We could have that kind of technical recession number, and it just not moved the needle for a lot of the corporate credit markets because of some of the kind of proactive things that management teams have tried to do. So with your recent note, you re some of your recommendations, some of your picks. Um, Can you walk us through some trade recommendations, picks, if you have pans, any sort of carry trades? Things that investors should be considering, especially after we've seen things reprice so material on the back of all the banking volatility.
1: We just upgraded a couple of steel companies. Steel prices have rallied hard over the last two to three months. I think aside from Bitcoin, which is up seventy percent year to date, you know steel prices have been has been the one of the best performing lines out there. You know U.S. steel prices are up forty percent year to date. The market. It's very tight, both in the U.S. and Europe. There's been a lot of restocking going on, a lot of steel capacity offline for maintenance outages and whatnot. And demand, it's okay, not great, not bad, but hanging in there. And so the market's been very tight, and a lot of steel makers have been implementing these price hikes. The thinking here is that the price hikes will stick and will continue to move up at least through the second quarter, and that's going to benefit a lot of the steel makers out there. So we decided to upgrade Austin to Apple form from under. Austin is one of the widest triple B names out there in our space. 2032 is trading as if they're a double B credit in line to a Cliffs and a commercial metal, which is double B. So trades really wide. There's been concerns about Austin falling to high yield. And Mattel is one of those credits that they bounce around from high U to IG, depending where we're at the cycle. And I've been covering the name for some time now, fell down to high U at least two or three times through the cycles and back up to IG. But again, the balance sheet for a lot of these names, including Mattel, is very, very strong. Even if you haircut their European EBITDA by half versus consensus estimates for the year, leverage is still below one time. So I think the risk of them falling on high U is fairly low, especially the fact that the steel prices have been rallying in the first half of this year. And so the first half, they should do okay. Who knows what happens in the second half, depending on what happens with the economy in Europe and the U.S., whether we fall into a recession. But even in the scenario, I think the leverage is going to be fairly low, and they'll still remain IG. So we upgraded Mittel to outperform on the back of the increase in the steel prices. And we also upgraded Big River Steel, which is a high U name, to outperform as well. Big River Steel is part of it's owned by US Steel, but Big River has its own high capital structure. And so obviously, steel prices are increasing. That's going to benefit Big River Steel. The cost structure is going to improve as well. So, they bought a lot of raw materials in the first half of last year on the back of the Russian Ukraine war. The cost structure was really high. So, they had to work it down over the course of the last six to nine months. And so, the cost is lower now. And they're also insourcing a lot of raw materials from US Steel. And so cost is coming off, steel prices are increasing, margins are expanding, so Big Rivers should do well. And they trade Y to U.S. Steel, roughly 25 base point Y. But historically, Big Rivers trades roughly 25 to 50 base point tight to U.S. Steel. I would imagine that it's going to revert back to the historical norms. We also have a few names that we like on the fundamental side that has also catalytic dry spread tightening. Glencore is a name that we liked. Glencore has exposure to base metals, coal, they have a marketing operation that performs well in times of volatility. Glencore is also in the process of getting upgraded to single A from high triple B. If and when that happens, the spread's gonna turn towards the you know BHP and real tintos level. I think that upgrade happens over the next three to six months. Newcrest is another name that we like. Newcrest is a pure-play gold name. Gold prices have been increasing on the back of the risk-off trade. Newmont's in the process of buying out Newcrest, in the process of doing due diligence right now. I think that that deal happens. Newcrest are timed towards Newmont. And then Valet is another name that we like. I know prices are very high. Cash costs are very low. They're making money right now. Well, they're also in the process of selling a minority stake in their base metal business, and then from there doing an IPO or a spin-off. Uh, And once that transaction happens, I think that's going to benefit the spreads. And I think that's got another catalyst for Valet. So those are some of the names that we like in the space right now.
0: That's great. It seems like there are a lot of kind of good mixes of fundamental catalysts, relative value in all of this volatility. That's where the best opportunities are created. And you have been absolutely on top of trying to identify those points. So let's wrap it up with some words of wisdom, I'm sure that management teams just love to take advice from analysts. That's at the top of the list of things that they want to do. But in any event, they probably should because you guys are very deep in the weeds on the sector and probably have a lot of good knowledge to convey. If you have any words of advice for management teams in the metals and mining sector as they contemplate the next 12 months or so, what would you tell them?
1: I, I would say less is more, right? I think if you look at sort of capital allocation wise, you know, it's getting more aggressive. Share buybacks, dividends have been increasing, growth capex have, have also been increasing. Then we've also seen a lot of event risks as well with MAs and whatnot. I think if you look back towards what happened in 2015, 2016, prior to that, a lot of these companies top ticked the market, uh, did a large leveraging acquisitions, worked on major projects that fell through. And then the cycle turns, and then leverage moves up, and then agencies start downgrading these guys left and right. So that's really sort of my concern here, right? I think we're sort of at that point of the cycle where things can turn pretty quickly. And if it does, that's going to have a big impact on commodity demand and prices. And to the extent that they continue on this path towards more aggressive capital allocation initiatives, that could have a big impact on leverage profiles and ratings or whatnot. But I think at this point in the cycle, less is more it's better for the credit profile of these companies.
0: I appreciate that. That's right there, the difference between a credit analyst and an equity analyst. Credit <laughs> analysts, less is more. Equity analysts, <laughs> what sensational stuff can you give us for sure. I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't lump everyone together like that. I apologize to any equity investors and analysts currently listening to this. In any event, Wen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. For anyone who has follow-up questions for either me or Wen, you can always reach us using the Ask an Analyst function on the Credit Sites website or reaching out directly to your Credit site sales. Thank you for joining me, Wen. And with that, we will wrap it up.
1: This is great. Thank you for having me.
0: Credit Sites, disclaimer: All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. It's not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.